In our first episode of Scrooge, A Christmas Carol, we talked with Jay Biro about how his story connects to many of the themes in the Charles Dickens classic. Well, this is a final bonus episode from Hope Media Group and Compassion International, and I'm Wally from The Wally Show on Way FM. One of the most important and lasting legacies of Dickens, A Christmas Carol, is that people can be redeemed, and Christmas serves as a transformative reminder that we are all called to love and take care of people, and while it gets a lot of attention around this time, which is Christmas. It's that spirit that should be lived out throughout the entire year. And nobody understands this more than Nora Virungi. She is a woman that had her life transformed by compassion and today spends her life providing it to others. So uh, Nora, thank you for being on with us. Thank you so much for having me. And so we want to go through your story, kind of Scrooge, a Christmas Carol style, okay? So what that means is we're going to go back past, present, and future, just like the spirits showed up there. Ooh, very spooky. And so we're going to go back to your past, Nora, you know, the ghost of Christmas past. Where did your story start? Thank you so much. My story started in Uganda, in a small town called Naguru. It's one of the biggest slums. In a two-roomed house with my five siblings, so we were seven in that house with our mother, who was a hairdresser at one of her friend's salon. But at that time, there was civil war, so her job was really not stable because it also depended on how safe the city was at that time. Mm. But I remember we relied so much on our father, who was a soldier, and he served in the Rwandan army. So let me take you back a little bit. My yeah, mother, please. We need some education <laughs> here because not everybody knows this story. Yes. And when I say everybody, probably me too. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I come from a family where my mother is from Uganda and my father is from Rwanda. Yes. So when I grew up, I grew up with my mother in Uganda, but my father was so much in the picture because he's the one who was taking care of us, even if he was living in Rwanda. He was in the army in Rwanda, so he only made occasional trips to come home to see us and and take care of us, I mean, and pay our house rent and buy for us food and take us to school. So that's what I grew up seeing. But I remember that my father was a very, very, very good father. Like every time he came home, like a young girl, you want to be around your father, to walk around the community to show them I have my father, mm. my father can protect me and all that. Well, because too, so, in, in, you know, a lot of places, sadly, like in these slums, uh, dads leave. You know, yes. and so the fact that you had a father yes. is a huge differentiating factor for you as a young girl, right? Yes, yes, yes. And I can tell you that every time my father came back home, I always wanted to walk around with him just yeah. to make sure everyone sees him. He's in his uniform. Mm -hmm. It's not a Ugandan army uniform, but it looks unique. But just for them to know that my father is in the army and he's here to see us, he's here to protect us. I was very, very proud. But I mean, that happiness never lasted so long because that time I was just 10 years old. And um, the last time I saw my father is when we took him to the bus for him to go back to Rwanda. And I didn't know that that was the last time we're gonna see him. And yes. And when he went back, the next thing we got was he had died in the genocide. And it was not only my father, it was also with his entire family. My mom came home crying and she said that when she was at the saloon, a friend of hers came and told her that my father and his entire family had died in the genocide. 
It was so hard to believe. I always ask myself, where is love? How can someone kill everyone in the family? It never really made sense to me. It, le it left a very big impact on my life. The death of my father changed everything because he was everything in my family. Right. He took care of each and everything. So when my father died, everything changed. And I, I keep telling my kids that that, I mean, it was like a turning point in our lives because life never remained the same again. My mother could not afford taking all the six of us to school. So we all dropped out of school. And I remember I saw my brothers. And even as I was driving here, I was talking to him. We kind of think of the past. And then we thank God where we are right now. Because when my father died, all my brothers started going to building sites at a very young age. At an age where you think that a child has to be in school. They were at building sites because we were trying to get some money to bring home. And when my father died, it devastated my mother that she couldn't do anything. Her world was crushed. I think she was thinking of how she was going to take care of all the six of us. And she had nothing. Mm -hmm. And that time, Uganda was still affected by the effects of the civil war. So a lot was going on. So when we all dropped out of school, I was the youngest and I stayed home. I don't know if you ever visited those slums in Uganda. I don't even know if you know what I'm talking about. No, I do. Yeah, I, you do? I yes, I do. And it's it, sadly, it, uh, we were talking to Jay in the last episode about Mathari, and sadly, the slums mm. look very similar. Yeah. And the desperation looks very similar. The hopelessness looks very similar. Yes. And it's played out in millions of people's lives all around the world. Mm -hmm. And so so you live in that yes. that environment mm -hmm. as a young girl. What's like do, is it all you know so you don't know any different or do you know because you've taken a bus somewhere and you've seen a different no, life? That's all I know. Okay. <laughs> that's all I know and I was very afraid because you're in when you're in the slum, there's a lot of crime. A lot of crime that I can't even describe to you. So as a young child at 10 years old, you're thinking, what is going on? You're seeing all the girls who have dropped out of school because they don't have school fees and they've ended up in early marriages. I had a cousin that we grew up in the same house. She couldn't handle the situation and she got married at 14 years. Oh, wow. Yes. So as a child, you know, when you're a child, you have so many dreams. My mm -hmm. kids... I have a six-year-old who keeps telling me, like yesterday she told me she wants to be a doctor. The other time she told me she wants to be a pilot. She keeps telling me different things. She has all these dreams. So I had all those dreams, but they were all shattered because I was not going to school. My father has died. Nothing makes sense at that time. Mm -hmm. That was the situation. And then you're back home. Your mother comes back from what she calls a job, but she has nothing. And then she looks at you and then you ask her, what are, you, what are we going to eat? And then she's also asking the young boys, her sons, who went to get something to eat, I mean, to get some money. And they also come back, they have nothing. They are right. young and they're all looking at her. So it was so hard. And I remember, I'm sorry. No, you're good. You're good. Take your time. It's okay. 
What is it that's coming back to you right now? What is the flood that you're feeling? It's... When I had my mom tell my big sister, if she could go and buy poison so that she could end our lives because life didn't have meaning. Were you not supposed to hear that and you overheard it? Yes. And she was okay. crying. And you're how old at this point? I was 10. And my sister said, we cannot do that, mom. There is still hope. And that, ma- that time my mom didn't know Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. She was not a born again. So when I look back and now that we know Jesus Christ, you know when you know Jesus, you get a lot of hope. Right. Because every word written in the Bible is true. It gives you hope. So she didn't know Jesus Christ. She didn't know where her hope could come from. All she thought was, if I end our lives, then we are not going to suffer. Because every time they had to throw us out of a two-roomed house because my mom didn't have house rent. Mm -hmm. So imagine I'm 10 years old. I'm not going to school. And then they're sending us out of the house. I grew up with that fear that I was going to be illiterate. But on top of that, I'm going to be homeless. How is it that your sister had hope, you know, to tell your mom, it's okay, there's hope? Like, where do you think that came from? And a moment of strength for her, how old was she, do you think? Um, I think she was like 17. 17. I think it's interesting because we talk about compassion and one of the big parts of compassion is people that sponsor these kids and they write letters to them and these kids hang on their words. And it's, 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 it's just another example of how important our words are and well-timed that your sister tells your mom this and kind of shakes her out of that moment of desperation that she was having. So what was the turning point for you guys in your story that you go from being kicked out of all these places, living in the slums, your mom is desperate because she can't feed you. How does that change? Because it feels pretty desperate from this side of the table. You asked a question where my sister got that hope. Yes. I want to answer that before I go to what you asked. So one thing I know is even if you don't know God, God is always seeing you, regardless of whether you worship him or you do not worship him. He is there. And I believe that even if we did not have God in our family, even if we did not know Jesus Christ, he alone came into my sister to tell my mother those words of hope that we cannot end our lives now. There is still hope. I believe that was the Holy Spirit speaking through my sister. Wow. And I keep telling people that there are situations that happen in our lives and you feel like you're at the end of the tunnel and you feel like you're not seeing where you're going. But that's the time when God is actually raising his hand to show you his might. And there are situations that God brings in our lives so that he can show how good and how mighty he is. 
He just wants to show me that he loves me and he's mighty. So why am I saying this? You're, you asked me <laughs> about what really changed our yeah, transition. What was the catalyst or what was the thing that propelled you out of that place yes. of hopelessness? God brought a situation. I say that it's God. After knowing God, I knew that that was a situation that God brought for us to, to get our miracle. So I remember we had not we had not had a meal the previous night. We went to bed, what we called a bed. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even a bed. But we went to bed hungry. There was totally nothing, nothing at all. I remember I was crying. And I woke up very, very hungry. I was crying. I was so weak. So I woke up very hungry and I went to my mother's workplace. My mom had forbidden me to cross the road to go to her workplace, but I disobeyed her. And I said, I have to go there. She has to get me something to eat. And I was very angry in my heart. Why am I so hungry? And she can't give me anything. So I went there. I said, even if she forbid me going there, I have to go there. And she was so shocked to see me. And here I find her working on one of her customers. And she looks at me and I'm crying. I tell her, mom, I'm hungry. Let me tell you something. And I know Jay knows. Our mothers have gone through so much that their love for us is in there. They don't show it. Here in America, I am a parent. I tell my kids, oh, I love you. Yeah. The word I love you is just so common here. A, you a tell day, people yeah, how a you day doesn't go by that you don't tell your children that you love them. Yes. Yeah. But back then, my mother would just look at you like this and you I cannot cross that line. So when I went there, I didn't care about how she was going to look at me. All I needed was food. I wanted to eat. So... I go there, she's shocked, she looks at me and I tell her, mom, I'm hungry. My mom didn't say anything. For the first time, my mom was so tough. I think because of what she had gone through and what she was going through, she was, <laughs> oh my God, I can't even tell you. She was so tough. Yeah. She, she didn't say anything. She just looked at me and she just went on washing her customer's hair. And then the customer asked her, you mean you didn't hear her say she's hungry? Then I saw my mom breaking down. Oh, no. Yes. She went on the side and started to really... She, I should say she wept. She cried like she had lost someone. I think she had a lot going on, and she couldn't say it. Well, you think about it, because you're a mom, yeah. and you know that all you want to do is provide for your kids. Yes. And mom guilt have you heard that term here in the mm -hmm. united states I've had it, yeah. yeah and mo moms here have the the biggest guilt over everything you know and so can you imagine your mom with one of the most basic necessities in life is feeding your kids and despite her best efforts could not do that mm. i can't imagine the weight of that on her you know and so thank the lord that's not your story now yeah because something changed <laughs> you know and, and something intervened. So how is it that you ended up in a compassion project? So it's that lady, the customer in my mother. Th that was like, didn't you hear she say she's <laughs> yes, hungry? Yes, she's like, you didn't hear her. Then she's like, oh, by the way, you know that church near your house? You're like, which church? There's so many churches. She's like, that church called Nakawa Baptist Church. My mom is like, yes. 
she said, the one for the Pentecostals. He's <laughs> like, yes, that one. They are registering children. There's this organization called Compassion International. Have you heard about it? My mom is like, what? <laughs> she didn't even actually know how to say the word because sure. she never went to school. She's like, what, what did you say? What is that? Com- what? Then the lady said, Compassion International. My mom is like, what are they doing? She's like, they are registering children. I f- asked her, are they going to take me back to school? That was what was on my mind. And she said, yes, they're going to take you. So my mom said, let's go there now. Nice. <laughs> I can tell Ladies you we got rent- wet hair and you yes. guys are like, we're gone. <laughs> we ran to that church. This woman was so good. She didn't even care about her hair. She said, let's go. Because I saw them registering, probably they're even closing. So we ran to the church. And let me tell you. The first thing I felt when we reached Nakawa Baptist Church was love and compassion. Compassion itself, that word compassion. But let me tell you, a lady ran to me and hugged me. I still remember that, and that was in 1994. She hugged me and she asked me, would you please like to have a cup of porridge? Oh, there's your answer. It's so. The, here's what's so great about this story. You talk about God was looking for you and your sister and your mom, and even before you knew who he was. What's so on point about this is that you go to your mom for help. Your mom can't help you. Uh-huh. God provides a way. There's a guardian angel right there. And you ate that, that God day. has put there. Yeah. Oh, man. I got goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. But that's how God works, you yeah. know? And it's and it it doesn't always mean life is going to be easy, Mm-mm. but there was provision for you guys. That's and- why I always say that there is always light at the end of the tunnel. We hope you're enjoying Scrooge, A Christmas Carol. You can read more about forgiveness, faith, and hope in our five-day reading plan based on the Charles Dickens classic. Click the link in the show notes or visit ScroogePodcast.com. So how long, so you were in the program from the time you were 10 years old. Do you remember anything that one of your sponsors may have said to you in that time? (laughs) (laughs) I have said that all the time because the words that my sponsors told me changed my life. She was a 20-year-old. She was a 20-year-old college student. See, again, this is what (laughs) blows me away by how God works. Somebody, a 20-year-old college student that doesn't have a Mm -hmm. lot of money, somehow God moves in her soul to do something and and sponsor this kid that she doesn't know. She sees a picture Mm -hmm. of you and then chooses to sponsor you. And she could have easily been like, I don't have the money. I'm a college kid. Yet she chose to do something bigger than herself. And you're like living proof that this works and you're this beautiful, amazing, mm-hmm. godly woman and your life was altered because this other lady had compassion. Oh, that's so cool. Yes. <laughs> so what did she tell she you? She was so young Yeah. because when I met her, I got the privilege to meet her later on. Oh, no way. In 2000, in 2021, I met her. That's so cool. <laughs> yes. Because everywhere I, I went to speak, I told whoever was in the congregation, I'm looking for this person. Actually, they are, because she got married, so they are two. Oh, okay. Jeff and Bonnie. Oh, nice. Okay. Yes. So, Bonnie used to write to me letters. 
every, I think like, <laughs> I was one of those kids who used to get letters almost every month. Nice. Because every time they use, oh, you have a letter from your sponsor. Oh, you have a letter. So it became a routine for me to have a letter from a sponsor every <laughs> single time. So she always wrote, and I rem- she had a very nice handwriting, very, very nice handwriting. And she used to write three things in each and every letter. She said, I love you, you're special, and you'll make it. Oh, wow. A point came in life where I could sit with some of my friends and I could tell them, I know what is in that letter, before I even opened it. (laughs) I told them that she's going to say she loves me, I'm special, and I'm going to make it. And some of them would laugh, and then we'll sit, and I'll just underline those words every (laughs) single time. Those words didn't just end on that paper. Those words meant everything to me. I mean, to, to, to look back at, like, say, this story of the Christmas Carol and Scrooge, it's like love is what enabled somebody to have their life changed, yeah. you know, and we see that every day. We know that there's hate in this world and we know that we have problems and stuff like yeah. that. And as, as hopeless as that seems sometimes, love is bigger than all of that, you know, but the the good things that people do, the bonnies of this world that will never be on TV anywhere. That's true. Are changing people's lives. And then you flash forward, go on, and you work with compassion. (laughs) Yes. And you were a project director, (laughs) so you know exactly what it's like Mm -hmm. to have all these kids depending on you. How long did you do that? I did it for five years. Oh, wow. I probably would have done it even till today, but we moved here. So that's what cut short my journey. Oh, <laughs> yes, I get it. Of working well, with compassion. I don't know that everybody understands the hours and the dedication that a project director oh. puts in because you have your own family and your own kids, but yes. then you take seriously the lives of all of these other kids as your own, correct? Yes, and also what makes a difference is when you were also a compassion child. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> you know it. Yes. I registered children, young children, and I saw myself in them. Mm. I saw myself in these kids, and it made me appreciate every single sponsor who gives to sponsor a child. The transformation of those children when they got into the program was, oh my, I don't even know how to explain it. I wish I knew the best English in the world, the best word to describe it. But when a child comes into compassion, everything changes. You just see the change there and then. Being a sponsor makes in somebody's life and the firsthand difference that God makes because the beautiful thing about what you guys do was project directors and all the staff from the people that the women that serve the food to the people that, you know, are, you know, teaching and like you give them God and Jesus at every turn. And that's how you give people hope when things feel hopeless. And so thank you for the work that you uh, did for these kids all these years. So let's jump to the ghost of Christmas present. 
So you left Uganda yeah. and as a project director, now you're in the States. Where are you? Where do you live in the States? I live in Maryland. Oh, no. You went from like hot to cold. What is wrong? With, <laughs> did someone not tell you how cold it gets there? I didn't know, but I love it. You're like, you see snow for the first time. Like, nope, let's go, kids. We're yes. out of here. We're going back to Uganda. This is not natural. <laughs> yeah. So what are you doing now? I'm a special education teacher. Oh, no way, really? So you're <laughs> still investing in the lives yes. of children? Yes. That's amazing. Yes. What does your family makeup look like? I have two boys and one girl. Yeah. Nice. And I'm married. I've been married for 13 years now. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. That's so great, though. But again, like your kids will never know how you grew up. And so, do you have conversations oh, with them? Oh, yes. You do. So, you let them know, <laughs> hey, kids, just so you know, this isn't normal from how I grew up, you know? I started my story with them when they were like, maybe seven. Okay. My oldest was seven. But my my middle child is very, he was very young, but he was very curious all the time. So, there is this porridge I used to make home. It's porridge made out of cornmeal. And okay. it has milk. Okay. So my son one time asks me, why do you love this porridge so much? I don't like it. <laughs> I'm like, hey, this porridge is so special. And then that's how I started telling them my story. Because when we went to church, when we went to the compassion program that day, when that lady took us there, when that lady had me, she asked me if I wanted to have something to eat. And then I went and had a cup of porridge. And when I tell my children, and they kind of laugh at it, but I tell them it was the best meal I ever had in my life. Yeah. Oh my goodness, made it so special. And I always, tell, I always told my children that even when I was telling, even as I tell you the story now, I still feel that test. Mm. It's very, I mean, some people might not believe it, but I still feel the test of that porridge I had in 1994. That's how special that porridge was. So let's go to the ghost of... Christmas future. What is your hope, you know, for your family, your kids? What do you dream for them? And then as you look at like our society as a whole, like, do you have any hopes for that? Like, we got to get some of this stuff worked out. Yes. The hope I have for my children is that they'll grow up with the compassion in them to know that being here in America is a privilege. That's what I always tell my children. I always teach them to be grateful for whatever they have, but to have a heart of helping other people who are in need. And I keep telling my children that if it wasn't for just one person to pick me up, to change the life of to change the story of my life and that of my family because me being in compassion didn't only change me. It changed my mother. It right. changed my brothers. My brothers started coming to church. My mom gave her life to Jesus Christ because of the gospel in the church where I was registered. So I always tell my children to have a heart of helping those in need. Mm, I love that. That's the interesting thing about compassion, too, is that on average, I think it's like 11 people come to know Jesus oh, yeah. because of that one <laughs> compassion child. Like you said, your mom, your brothers, yes. your sister, mm -hmm. like it affects that many people, which yeah. is so amazing. Yes. So how do you got, how do you celebrate Christmas now? Um, so when I was growing up, it oh, it was big to celebrate Christmas. 
at home. It was like in the community, not in our house, but in the community. People would have very nice clothes on. My friends would come out with nice clothes. That's when you get a new shoe. You have good food. The good food is rice, chicken, yeah. <laughs> meat. That's good food. So for me, I didn't have them. When Christmas came, we didn't have a cloth. We, I mean, <laughs> there was nothing, but, you know, we had to go through that. So when I went in Compassion, I got my first Christmas dress. Ooh. Oh, wow. Do you know what that means? You can still see it today, <laughs> can't you? I still even remember. It was a polka dot dress. Yeah. And shoes on Christmas. I couldn't wait for the day to come. When I went back with my dress... I was telling my mom, when is tomorrow coming? I need to put on my dress. Nice. It was so special. So even if people here do not dress up for Christmas, my children dress up for Christmas. <laughs> I, <laughs> they don't like it. And my, my 12-year-old son doesn't like it. That's so funny. Like, no, this is dressing up. I'm like, mm -mm. you have to dress up that suit. Yeah. <laughs> you have to go to church. When we come back, Take it off. Put on yeah. whatever you want. It's a culture I want to grow up with and with my children. Then after church, come back, have a good meal. And then the gifts. The gifts, I saw them from here. I didn't know that we have to have gifts. Like giving out gifts, that was not common. So I started up that culture, but not only with my children. Also with my mother back home. Mm -hmm. I always make sure that every single child that lives in my mother's house gets a gift. And they are so happy on Christmas Day. So that's a culture I've learned here, but it's very good. Every child is so happy to open that box of a gift. That's awesome. My that mom always awesome. takes pictures, my brothers, and I'm like, these kids are so happy. You don't know what you just <laughs> did for them. Nora, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, sharing your life story with us. And, Thank you. And I think inspiring people to to maybe get involved and go, wow, I, I can't believe I could have that kind of an impact by mm. sponsoring a little kid that yeah. could turn into be a Nora, you know? And so that's awesome. Because over 355 million children are trapped in poverty and Compassion International is working to change their lives one at a time, but they do need support and they need people to help make an eternal difference, provide hope uh, to these children. And this is a great time of year to do it during this holiday season. And if you want to help out, if you've been inspired by anything you've heard in this entire podcast series, go to scroogepodcast.com to learn how. Just another dead man walking to a grave he made himself. Another soul that needs reminding Love is how to build up wealth And when did what we see and hear and feel Become the only thing that's really real The measure of a man Is not waiting his own head So sing the songs and read the stories that bring you back with words of life. A fairy tale that's always coming true. The past, a path that comes to rescue you. It's haunted one.
sing 